This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Morning, everybody. My name is Alice Bergen. Um, I am working on the impact uh, stream of the conference this this year. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to the, uh, this this session of Impact in Action. Um, so this panel has been created to give a peek into some different elements of campaign design um, from three prominent professionals working in the field. Um, so we have each will speak on a different element of a campaign and afterwards we're going to open up the discussion to questions. So please feel free to um, yeah, take notes and ask questions, pick their brains. That's what they're here for. Um, so first up we have... Um, I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce them all now, and then they can just get up one by one to save it time. Um, we'll have Alex Kelly speaking. Um, she's, an, she's an impact and distribution producer with Eco Tango, who will be talking on her work as an impact producer for Naomi Klein and Avi Lewis's This Changes Everything. Anna Kaplan is second. Um, she will be. She's a screen and impact producer who was working on the campaign of the hugely, hugely successful That Sugar film. Um, and finally, we'll have Dr. Mitzi Goldman from um, the CEO of Documentary Australia Foundation, and she'll be talking to us about her experiences on Gaby Baby and Kaching. Um, and like I said, afterwards, we have a little bit of time for questions, so um, stick around. And I would love to introduce Alex Kelly to the podium. Give her a round of applause. Hi, everyone. I'm just making sure I have the uh, control under control. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Um, I'd just like to acknowledge country um, and pay my respects to the elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, the land on which we meet. And I think um, whenever we're having a conversation about the power of a story and considering the role of culture in change, I think we, we can really look to the powerful example that Indigenous Australians provide us with in terms of the wisdom and the leadership that they sh have shown to maintain their culture, um, particularly through the last centuries of colonisation. Um, I'm actually quite nervous um, because, and I was talking to Alice about this last night, but I really deeply care about this work. And I'm also aware I've sort of only got 20 minutes and there's so many things that I want to say. But um, essentially, I'm really happy to be here. I'm thrilled that AIDC has built an impact strand into the program. Big thanks to Alice, Britt, thanks to Jen, um, but also I'd like to acknowledge that there are so many people who've been working in the film space doing this kind of work well before it had a name. So people like Tom Sobreski, Kathy Henkel, Pat Fisk, John Hughes, Martha Ansara, and in my own experience, my peers, Jeff Riley, Pip Star, and Heather Kirkpatrick. I think it's really important to acknowledge that there's a great legacy of people who've thought and used film for change for a long time. I think it's also really important, and this actually is a perfect kind of starting point from where Jen left off, to acknowledge your own position and worldview at the outset um, when you're considering where you situate yourself for the work that you do, because that worldview informs what sometimes is called the theory of change and the way that you think about 
the work that you want to do and where you want to put your energy in trying to create change. Um, just to, to position myself, I, I see that we are in a moment where we face um, overlapping and incredibly complex crises. We're facing massive movement of people around the world, inequality, and very importantly, climate change. And the thing about climate change is that it's an accelerant and an amplifier of already existing inequality. And one of the things that Naomi Klein talks about is the idea that climate change is not just about things getting hotter, it's also about things getting meaner. If we look at our um, horrific border policies, we can see the way in which that meanness manifests and we can realise that we really need to make very quick and deep transformations in our systems, our cultural and belief systems and our economic and governance systems. But, you know, leading up from what Melinda said this morning about impact films shouldn't feel like they have to boil the ocean. When we start to look at an entire system, it's incredibly overwhelming to think about how do we actually get a foothold into and start to change those systems. And one of the things is that I think for people to, audiences, all of us, to be able to sort of deal with what sometimes feels like this kind of laundry list of social issues is we actually have to feel like we actually have the capacity to make change. If we don't feel like we can make change, if we don't feel like we have an, an, any sense of agency, then it becomes very, very hard to look at those issues and to understand them. I think that's where we see a lot of disengagement from people around social issues. I think that's where we also see the role of denial. So I think, again, this is a really powerful place for story. So we know that change is constant. We know that things are always shifting. We know that from our own lives. And we also know that, that um, we don't know what the coming change is going to look like. And when the kind of frame and the buzz around impact is, is coming from this sort of almost neoliberal idea of impact investing, um, social enterprise, and, and a particular focus on outcomes, we sometimes want the way that we work, the strategies that we create, and the work that we do to be much neater than it actually is. But this work is messy, it's experimental, it's complicated, and it's very unpredictable. Um, there's no perfect template for what actually creates change, but we actually see this um, incredible constant um, search for the perfect model of how do you make change. Governments do it, they create um, transport accident commission ads to try and convince us to stop speeding. GetUp and other um, environmental NGOs do it. They create these particular frameworks for how they write emails to us to get us to donate. Um, international development workers do it to try and look at getting people to use contraception in countries to bring down AIDS. There's a constant exploration and, uh, and kind of experimentation with trying to figure out what do we do to create change? What's the perfect message? What's the silver bullet? What's the way in which we can get people to, to act and to do something? And sometimes this kind of focus on the perfect um, best practice, neat model um, is a pressure that belies the messiness and the unpredictability of social change, which is actually where I think the deep freedom and power of this work lies. Because if it was actually possible to finally 
um, figure out the perfect way of convincing an audience or a constituency or your Facebook um, subscribers or whatever to do something, then that would be available to the highest bidder. And the fact that it isn't clear what it is that creates tipping points, that we can't catch this elusive, magic, perfect strategy, that's actually the most powerful thing about working in the cultural space because we may just hit that thing and you don't need to be a huge corporation with a mass market and you know you don't have to be Beyonce. There are examples of people that have tipped things without quite reaching the Super Bowl zenith. And you know, recently I think we could look to um, the amazing explosion around the Let Them Stay campaign. Now, in the last 15 years, we've seen huge campaigns of people trying to stop um, refugee detention centres and offshore processing of refugees. When Reza Barati was murdered in Manus Island, we had the huge uh, light the dark campaigns. And we asked all of those, we saw you know, tens of thousands of people on the streets, but we didn't see the same um, capitulation from the government and the same tipping point. And in many ways, you know, we could argue and we should actually argue endlessly and try and dissect that and go, well, why did Let Them Stay go viral when in a way that um, Light the Dark didn't? And perhaps it's because um, it moved between sectors and we saw hospital staff, we saw unions, we saw direct action, we saw policy and we saw a whole range of different ways of people creating this kind of movement moment collectively. And for my um, theory of change and my worldview, which also um, I'll speak to more when I talk about this changes everything, it is actually when we see these kind of movement moments that cross between sectors and also um, create openings for people to engage in very different ways, but from where they are with what they have. So the nurses and doctors at um, Lady Salento Hospital in Brisbane were able to use their medical profession, their professional um, decision not to release Asha because they didn't know she was going to be released into safety. Uh, activists who are into direct action could do the fabulous um, banner drop off the Arts Centre Spire. And then the MEAA union could use their union position to convince the um, management of the art centre not to press charges against um, the people that dropped the banner. So there are these kind of moments that emerge and um, we sort of have to be really ready for those. One of the things, the reason I just wanted to show this slide is because um, we know that, yeah, we certainly know that huge change is coming, especially driven by climate change, but we don't know that the nature of that change is going to be just. And certainly finding ways of believing that a justice-based future is possible is a huge part of the role of storytelling. One of these other sort of aspects of, um, of being ready for the opportunities and the moments that emerge um, is, is that you can really lay some great plans but you need to be ready for things to change and I was thinking about this yesterday and it reminded me of a very strange interview question I had when I worked um, for I did a brief stint working as a um, community liaison advisor to um, Senator Bob Brown and in the job interview in the job interview they said to me are you the kind of person who likes to finish every single thing on your list and get everything done and I mean I realized it was a kind of trick question 
So I said, what do you, what's the question? And they basically said, look, in a political office, you might spend several months working with stakeholders, trying to develop a policy, responding to a piece of legislation, getting everything ready for a particular slate in the Senate, um, and then something else happens on the day and that whole piece is out. And it was a really interesting way and I realised that I'd been working in that responsive way a lot in the kind of social movement work that I'd done, but it was really interesting to hear it articulated in a professional environment and then to work in a political office and to observe that need to be responsive has been a useful way for me to think about, um, yeah, the work that I've done since I've been doing work in the impact space. So I guess um, there's... There is this um, real, and I, I don't, I mean, Jen, I've had to cut out half of my introduction because um, you fabulously summarised a lot of it. For, for those that um, may have had the misfortune of missing Jen, just really trying to look at some of the cautions around the buzz of impact. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes the, the, and this comes from pressures from funders and also, um, as the field explodes, there's a lot of people coming into the space who may come from traditional filmmaking or come into the space from more of a marketing background and not necessarily um, schooled in, you know, deep movement history. Um, and so I think sometimes we, we miss um, thinking and, and accepting the power of the messiness. And as I said, I think that's where there's a huge amount of freedom um, to to ha to make way more change and punch above our weight. So, um, just in summary, I think that um, stories are incredibly powerful. I don't think I need to tell a documentary filmmaking audience about that, but um, I do think that uh, that the that um, social movements are, are an often invisible force in society. Um, I think documentary films do a good job of telling stories of social movements, but certainly we don't hear about them in the mainstream media. And it's unless you um, engage in them actively or you spend a lot of time studying them, coming to understand how movements work is, you know, it's a long process. I've spent 20 years in, a, in social movements and I feel like I'm still completely trying, you know, constantly reconfiguring how I think about them but I think it's very important for people that work in the impact space to really consider how film and media and symbols sit within an ecology and a bigger conversation around social change. So I just want to talk um, briefly about uh, This Changes Everything. So this is the project that I worked on. Um, I've been working on the project for the last two years I've been based between Alice Springs, Central Australia and New York, which I thought was one of the most exotic um, two points on the globe, but I met a guy last night who worked between Bangkok and a shipping boat in Alaska, so he may have beat me on that one. Um, so this project was really our core idea as we developed our strategy around This Changes Everything was the idea that books and films don't change the world, but social movements do. So that was absolutely fundamental to, to the project. So this is a project that um, was based on a book and a film and 
what was initially called an engagement strategy and sometimes we called an outreach strategy and sometimes we called an impact strategy that were all conceived at the same time. So six years ago, Naomi Klein and Avi Lewis decided to make a book and film in parallel. So the, the film is not based on the book. It was developed in parallel to Naomi writing the book. And Katie McKenna, my colleague, um, developed the engagement strategy from, from the outset. So the this in this changes everything refers to climate change. And the position that uh, the project takes, but that Naomi's analysis in the book takes, is that climate change is going to change everything about our natural wor world. And as I said, it's an accelerant and an amplifier to a whole lot of already existing social issues. And Naomi really explored the question of, and, and the film did in a different way, why is it that we haven't responded to the climate crisis? We've got the science, we've got the technology. What is it that's holding us back? And there was an exploration of our economic system, both um, the fact that it's based on endless growth, but also looking at the global trade systems and the neoliberal ideology that's kind of underpinned our economic system for the last 30 years. So this, um, the kind of central argument of the project is that to actually adequately respond to the climate crisis, we have to completely transform our economic system. And when you start to think about that, that can seem like an absolutely huge task. But then when you actually realize that our economic system is not serving the vast majority of people on the planet anyway, it's actually an incredibly exciting opportunity and invitation. So Naomi talks um, about the idea of climate change actually being a gift because it provides us with a moment and an opportunity to completely transform our, our systems, which we absolutely need to do. So this project was, uh, as I said, developed over five years. And in that time, it's also based on uh, you know, Naomi's body of work with her previous books, um, No Logo and The Shock Doctrine, and Naomi and Avi's previous film, The Take, which they released in 2006, um, which is about workers' cooperatives in Argentina and the way in which the cooperatives are responding to the, the financial collapse in Argentina, at which they, Katie also worked with them on. And again, it wasn't called an impact strategy, but it had a huge impact strategy looking at workers' cooperatives and helped launch a really incredible network and organisation in the US called The Working World. So, I mean, this is a, um, in some ways, initially I, when I came to this project, it felt like we had such a huge running start because here is a very well-known high-profile public intellectual who already has incredibly deep um, networks and relationships and trust with social movements around the world. Um, and the kind of interesting thing for us um, in the process of putting the project together was, and, and we, this was just you know a really big um, luck, we lucked out in this way really, that we had a year between the book coming out and the film coming out. So we, I came on the project a year before the book came out. So in that year, we did a lot of fundraising, set up the website and started to plan a lot of our strategy. 
So that year was hundreds of conversations with movements and activists trying to get a sense of what people were working on, how they were approaching climate change, how they were thinking about organising around the People's Climate March in September 2014 and around the Paris Climate Talks in December 2015. Um, but a big part of what we spent that first year prior to the book coming out was um, basically we, we started to call it the war room but then we redubbed it the love room and we spent um, a long time developing this um, basically network of people globally who were economists, scientists, climate scientists, activists, unionists, etc., who would be ready and on call to respond to attacks. Because um, when Naomi published The Shock Doctrine, when she's um, spoken out around issues of climate in the past, she's just received just enormous backlash. So we spent a lot of time, our strategy development was really around initially the idea for the project was we need to try and introduce this new idea about connecting the dots between economic justice and climate change um, into the culture. But we also need to be really primed and ready for Naomi to be attacked and for the ideas to be undermined really quickly. There's a section in the book where she talks about um, big green groups and, and the problems of NGOs getting too close to corporate power and not actually having a, an impact on, on actually creating genuine change. And there's a terrible story about a, um, a green group in the US who actually um, sink a gas well on their own land to make money to run a campaign and then they actually cause the extinction of a prairie chicken. So we were expecting backlash from green groups, backlash from economists who say, well, she doesn't understand economics, is she mad? As if we could possibly re-regulate, we need, we, we need to privatise. She doesn't understand the science, you know, all the deniers, etc. And we spent a lot of time preparing for this just before I mean the timing was impeccable Naomi is somebody who and you know you would think she'd planned it but you don't get to tell publishers when to publish books so it's not actually completely planned but her book came out um, three days before the People's Climate March in New York but in August as they were um, planning the march they adopted the frame uh, to change everything we need everyone and we started to see um, as we were all having all these meetings and conversations with people about it actually people were saying to us yeah 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 we know economic justice and climate change are connected what should we do about it and we were just starting to hear this but then when the book came out that we didn't get attacked we didn't get attacked at all I mean there was a few right-wing crazies but we just we didn't in fact what we got was people going this is brilliant Naomi Klein's written this great analysis this is perfect we've all been waiting for this she puts all the dots together now we're ready to go and as a project we were completely unprepared for people being ready for the idea we'd spent all of that time thinking about how to protect the idea um, and then we realized that actually people wanted something completely different from us um, so, I mean, as I said, completely lucky as a project because we had the time between the book coming out and the film coming out to completely pivot and change our strategy. So we started to think a lot more about um, how to build connections between issues. 
and you know in some ways you might think well how did we miss this how did we not realize that people were really so ready for the ideas but in the five years that the book was and the film were both being made um, we didn't have Podemos in Spain. We didn't have Sriza in Greece. Occupy was just starting to have a cultural impact in the US. The Black Lives Matter movement had not exploded in the same way that it did throughout 2014. So, you know, these huge kind of geopolitical and cultural shifts were a huge part of the way in which the, the story changed. So we started to realise that the best thing that we would be able to do because of our convening power and because of the ways in which people are really in the kind of really fascinating conversation that happens between Naomi and social movements is that we would look to try and use the project and the film as it rolled out as a convening tool to try and bring movements together to start talking about how do austerity activists work with racial justice activists, work with labor organizers, work with green groups to start talking about building what we would call a movement of movements. This is not about everyone dropping their issue and all running over and becoming climate activists because the analysis that we were bringing was that all climate change impacts all of us and everything. And if we need to shift an entire system, we need every player in every part of the system, be it health, grassroots, policy, you know, green, business, etc., to be fighting in their corner and shifting it. But if we're just doing small reforms and changes in small parts and not talking to each other, we're not going to build the power that is required to actually transform the entire system. So we started running a lot of these um, convenings around and then building all of our um, outreach materials and screening guides towards um, that. I just realised I'm going to have to just rush through the last pieces of what I wanted to say. So just quickly, we did a, an incredibly fast, very ambitious multi-platform hybrid distribution strategy. We premiered the 13th of September on at the Toronto International Film Festival. 13 days later, we had movement premieres across Europe. This is 1,500 people watching it on a coal power station in Amsterdam that we organised with Greenpeace and a whole lot of divestment groups. Then we were out on the 20th of October on digital video on demand, grassroots screenings and cinemas across the US and Canada. And the reason we rushed it out so quickly was because we wanted to get it in people's hands before the People's Climate March in Paris in December and we were working with a lot of partners who were incredibly excited about using it as an organising tool. Um, I just really quickly um, point to this tool. I'm not going to talk about it very much. There's a fantastic organisation in the US called the Centre for Story-Based Strategy. They have an amazing book and a whole lot of tools that they use like this Cornerstones tool which are really simple ways of starting to unpack who your targets are, which audiences to look at and so on. That's something that I've used a lot in my work. And just quickly, in summary, I think, again, Melinda said how important a good story is. Um, as Jen has mentioned and I was saying earlier, really understanding where your team sits politically and knowing what they're comfortable with. If you're the yes men, 
you might be really comfortable screening your film and taking your entire audience straight from the cinema to a blockade at a local corporation. It, you might actually want to get people to donate or to do a petition. It's about where you sit politically, your theory of change. Again, who's in the social movements? Who are already in the space? What are their strategies? Building those partnerships and networks, which I think Mitzi will talk more about. I think one of the really important things is that um, films shouldn't, I don't think, build, and this is one of the dangers of the impact space, you shouldn't build an entire mini NGO around your film project. There are already people out there doing this work, so find them and connect with them. But also, a film exists for a shorter period of time and is a bright spark that can be dropped in the culture. So I think, think really audaciously about what you can do. Um, so, look, I really think that this is not a moment in history for small steps we're facing these huge deep crises and we really need to be bold and i think we need to take a lot more responsibility for our power as culture makers and ask a lot more of ourselves and each other um, we need to leap and we are the leaders we've been waiting for thank you Hi everyone, um, thanks for coming. Thanks Alex, that was really, um, really, really interesting. And um, you know, I'm gonna focus a bit more on the nuts and bolts of how we actually rolled out that sugar film rather than talking um, about some of the philosophy and strategy um, elements of the impact work. Um, I have spent the last 18 months working um, with Madman Production Company who produced that sugar film um, managing the development and rollout of a pretty ambitious impact campaign for the film. Um, for those not familiar with the film it's the debut feature documentary from um, Australian actor-director Damon Gamo um, and produced by Nick Batsius through Madman Productions. Um, it was one of seven films selected for the first instalment of Good Pitch Squared Australia in late 2014 and it was released theatrically by Madman um, Entertainment here um, in Australia and New Zealand um, in March last year. Um, and I lobbied really hard to work on this film. I um, had been aware of the film while it was in development. I'd had my own personal journey with um, having to give up sugar for a period of time and um, had experienced some really significant benefits from um, going through that journey, but also had found it really hard to sustain that lifestyle um, long term and I saw the film as having really great potential to um, share the messages um, in a very accessible, um, supportive way um, and reach a broad mainstream audience. So I'm going to unpack how a limited event cinema release um, snowballed into a record-breaking 22-week theatrical run, um, a successful digital release and high-profile impact campaign. Um, I'm not going to delve too deeply into strategy, but this, I guess, is these are our, our sort of um, four key pillars, and they've really informed um, every element of campaign activity. Um, and we knew from the outset that we really had a great opportunity to harness the collective voice of a very passionate um, and vocal and engaged core audience to help promote the film. And we also knew that, um, you know, uh, to be true to the premise of the film, we really had to um, play on it being, you know, one man's journey um, and take the audience on a personal journey with Damon and his family and with the team working on the film. Um, we focused on publicity, social media and partnerships as our primary engagement tools. 
Um, I'm going to talk you through the suite of resources that we created to um, help sustain an ongoing conversation with our audience. Um, then I'm going to break down the release schedule and um, give you a bit of a sense of how the outreach activity that I've been managing has dovetailed with and augmented the theatrical and home entertainment campaigns run by Madman's in-house uh, marketing and publicity teams. And then I'm going to give you an overview of the REACH reaction and impact to date. Um, so this is the suite of resources that we developed. Um, and as you can see, it's a pretty comprehensive toolkit. Um, we staggered the release of these materials so that we could keep um, sustaining audience engagement and keep reaching new audiences as well through every stage of the film's life cycle. Um, we started off with um, pumping out a lot of blog content, free recipes, a detox ebook, a preview of our study guide, and utilised the website and our social channels as um, our key sort of um, communication channels with the audience um, in the early days. And we also um, used some of these tools to build our mailing list um, from the get go by uh, making them available on signing up. So by the time we actually launched the film we had a really um, large and engaged online community who kind of gathered around the film and were really eager to see it and um, you know share it with their loved ones and their communities. Um, this is our homepage of our website and our Facebook page and um, I just have to acknowledge the really amazing job that Madman's in-house created team did in putting together just a really kick-ass suite of design assets that have um, you know kind of informed the design of every single element of um, our campaign and all of the resources and it's given them a really kind of cohesive and playful um, feel. Um, I, I'll talk a bit more about social and the kind of content we've been um, putting out through social and the reach that some of that content's getting a bit later on um, but the key thing with social was it's just allowed us to be really really responsive to our audience um, and we've been able to um, having the luxury of having an in-house design team we've been able to be um, really quick to develop new content that speaks to what the audience is asking us um, and we've used a lot of infographics um, to convey information in a really concise efficient way um, the other two bits or two resources i'm going to talk about are our school action toolkit and that sugar app um, these were both fully funded through um, donations pledged at good pitch and the school action kit um, is a sort of a one-stop shop designed to take schools on um, you know a journey where they can engage the whole school community not just students in the classroom so it's got the DVD it's got the book uh, study guide mapped to two different curriculum subjects from years five through to ten um, a whole bunch of worksheets and um, digital assets provided on USB short clips from the film um, an action planning guide and just um, you know lots and lots of tools and um, um, guidance for schools to take them on that learning journey um, and also to, to help engage parents on um, with the key messages of the film. Um, the app is a free app on um, Android and iOS and it's um, basically a really simple tool that helps users track 
analyze and moderate their sugar consumption and it's got like a it's got a challenge built into it as well so you can define a challenge for yourself and then share it with other people on social share your progress um this is an overview of our release schedule and um as you can see every step of the way where the film you know we were marketing and releasing the film we were also working to pump out resources and tools and um you know maintain the outreach work every step of the way so while um the madmen in-house team were building up the community around the film and executing their media campaign we were developing our partnerships we were developing our resources we were consulting with stakeholders and doing preview screenings um, while the film was being released theatrically and Damon was touring the country doing 62 Q&As, um, we were facilitating health promotion, school, community and corporate screenings and um, a lot of those ended up being group bookings in the cinema as well as um, after the theatrical release um, in community settings. Um, while the film was being released on DVD and digital, we were rolling out the school action toolkit, the app and the community screening program and every step of the way we've continuously um, you know, work really hard to engage and grow the audience across multiple platforms. Um, and now that we're moving into year two of the campaign, we're um, very focused on um, specific advocacy campaigns that we're, we're doing in partnership with different organisations and, um, and also supporting our schools program with engagement initiatives and competitions. The partnerships that we developed through the Good Pitch experience have been really um, critical to us as well. Um, as you can see, we've got a pretty broad range of partners. We've worked with leading advocates and academics in the health promotion space. Um, we've worked with educators, with corporates, with philanthropic funders. They've all been incredibly generous. Um, they've shared their knowledge, they've shared their networks, they've shared their resources with us. They've hosted screenings, they've spoken on panels, they've promoted the film and the accompanying resources to their networks and they've just been amazing um, supporters and and advisors along the way. Um, so it's been a pretty busy year um, and now I'm going to just talk through some of the outcomes with you. We, we started off with an initial tour of 34 Q&A screenings, um, which sold out on pre-release. And so we expanded the tour to 62 Q&A sessions, which also sold out. Um, the film then went into a wide in-season release, which rolled on from the tour. And that was followed by 46 um, cinema on-demand screenings through FanForce. Um, and we really um, worked hard to lobby uh, to um, harness the enthusiasm of people who um, you know were in regional areas who um, weren't seeing the film being programmed at their local cinemas so we really encouraged because we'd opened up very clear communication channels with the audience very early on we were able to get them to lobby their local cinemas and and um, that and show you know demonstrate that there was actually a, an audience in those local areas for the film so um, we ended up on two, over 200 sites around Australia. Um, we've had an, a signif sorry, significant number of community screenings. Um, our school action toolkit's now in close to 700 schools. These figures are actually correct as of December, so they're actually a bit higher now. Um, and you know, we continue to build our online community around the film as well. 
Um, that gives you a sense of the geographic reach of the film in Australia. Um, that's actually our school's activation map. Um, every time a school comes on board with our school's program, they get pinned to that map. Um, and that, but it's interesting, that's actually a pretty good indication of the geographic spread of the cinema release as well. Um, and Damon was very clear from the get-go that he wanted the film to get out of the, uh, break through the quinoa curtain um, and get out into regional areas. And, and uh, I think we've been fairly successful in achieving that. Um, the other graphic up here is just some of the key milestones along the campaign that spiked, that caused big spikes in, in um, social engagement, particularly on Facebook. Um, things like Stephen Fry tweeting about the film was really useful. Um, and as you can see, we've been able to maintain our um, growth and you know, consistent growth ongoing, and we're still getting about 5,000 Facebook followers, new followers every week. This is um, an overview of the kind of content that we've been posting on social um, and gives you a sense of what, what works well for us. Um, the user stories generally are the most popular posts. Um, as you can see, Josh over there has shared his before and after photos. We get, we get probably about 50 or 60 stories a week from people who've seen the film and gone on um, a journey of reducing their sugar consumption and had really, really significant results. And um, it's really heartwarming when we share these stories. These people get completely flooded with love and, and encouragement and support from the community, and it's really heartwarming. Um, the other thing that works really well obviously is video content um, and infographics um, also uh, um, consistently get really, really good reach. Um, the media campaign for the theatrical release was pretty successful um, and certainly during March through to June of last year you couldn't really get away from the film. It was all Damon's face. It was pretty much everywhere. So. Um, we're really pleased with how that campaign played out. Um, so I'm just going to summarise with my thoughts about why I think the film's been so successful. Um, it's obviously been a commercial success. Um, it's reached a pretty broad audience and it's continuing to have an ongoing impact on audiences um, a year after release. Um, I think the first reason is the film is a good film. <laughs> it's got really great great production values. It's got a really accessible tone, really entertaining stylistic approach. Um, I think Madman, the whole team at Madman treated it with kid gloves. It was an in-house production. Everyone in the office went on a low sugar journey with the film. And so it really had that personal touch to it. Everyone really cared about this film. Um, and everyone just did an amazing job and it was a massive team effort. Um, Good Pitch was also really significant for us. It allowed us to raise the funding that we needed to develop those tools um, that have been so important to the ongoing outreach work at a very early stage, well before we'd released the film, so that we were ready to go with them when the film was released. Um, and it also allowed us to build that really powerful coalition of partners around the film. Um, and they've been incredible supporters, um, both personally to me and um, to the film and the team behind the film. Um, but the real reason it's been a great success is because of this guy. Um, he, I think most people will agree, has delivered a first-class lesson in how to get out there and promote your film um, and your message. And he's spent the last year um, touring around the country, touring around the world, doing Q&As, 
and the cinema, visiting schools, talking at conferences, talking at seminars, getting out into the regions and um, getting on board as a, a speaker or a, a guest judge at all sorts of wellness events around the country. Um, he's just been such an amazing, passionate and hardworking ambassador for not only the film but the, the low sugar movement. Um, we're now moving into the second year of our three-year strategy and the biggest challenge for us is unshackling Damon from the film because it is so personal to him and um, everything is hung on his personal voice um, but he needs to be able to move on and make another film. Um, so we've been working with an external agency for the last few months um, who've been managing our website and our social channels and we're building a team um, who can actually you know, drive the blog, drive, um, develop new recipes, develop new ebooks. Uh, we're working on a series of educational animated clips for schools. Um, we're working on some corporate partnerships and a corporate kit. Um, and um, you know, every everything we're doing at the moment, strategy-wise, is very much geared around how can we remove Damon from this equation, still keep it framed around his journey and his his voice and his story, but actually allow him to to unshackle a little bit um we he's still really really involved really passionately involved with the Mayweeru sugar challenge foundation which is a foundation he set up to um support a um, aboriginal community who are featured in the film who um have their own nutrition program that the program that was community initiated um and run and so that foundation is all about raising funds and providing support to the community to continue that work that they're doing um, and they've actually just Damon was up there last week um, deploying the first um, crop of um, nutrition educators into the local store up there um, we're also um, moving into ramping up our schools engagement initiatives um, and we'll be launching a number of competitions over the next um, couple of months and we're also working on enhancing um, and updating the app. Um, Damon's also written a new book which is about to be released and that's something actually I didn't mention before that um, not only had did we have the film but like this changes everything we had the book and that was released um, a month before the film so that was a really great teaser um, to get people aware of the film and in fact has done really really well sales wise and, and um, they've been um, commissioned by PAMAC to, to do a second book which is about to be released. Um, and we're also about to launch an ambassador program again trying to harness the the passionate foot soldiers that we've got out there in the community um, so that they can go and visit schools and talk about the film and they can um, host community screenings and put together Q&A so that we're not you know just so immersed in the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of getting the film out there um, I think I've run out of time Thanks for coming and thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the conference. Uh, great. That is so impressive, Anna. Um, I, just, uh, I just really am amazed at um, and how far that film has gone. It certainly, as Melinda said this morning, completely transcended all expectations and and I think that it is that magic combination of being a really great film, a really great and committed team, um, 
a, you know, a fabulous coalition of partners and all working with a very clear focus and sort of pulling in the same direction, a really good impact producer and, um, and Damon's passion. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I think that passion and perseverance um, has always taken documentary filmmakers a long way with their projects. And I mean, that's the very special ingredient that a lot of documentary filmmakers, a lot of you all have for your projects. And I see it every day. Um, I'm going to kind of zoom back out to um, a bigger picture again and um, also pick up on, on some of the really good points that Alex made in her presentation and that, and that Jen made this morning as well and also to pick up on some of the, the seeds sown by Melinda you know, at the start of the day. Um, a lot of people ask me... Uh, but where do I find the funding? You know, this is the question I get asked all the time. You know, who is interested in funding this work? Can you introduce me to the funders? So I just want to start my presentation. I'm, I've specifically focused my presentation around funding and also um, evaluation. And evaluation, I'm I'm really talking about not only uh, measuring the social impact of your work, which is a really difficult thing to do with documentaries, I have to say, and it takes it's something that happens over quite a long period, but also um, evaluating and interrogating why you're why you're doing what you're doing, why you want to do what you do, and what's driving you. And so, I've been a documentary filmmaker for close to thirty years. I think it's getting up there, and um, I. Uh, you know, I know a lot of you, and I've known a lot of you for a long time, and I also used to um, teach at the AFTRS, um, teach documentary, and so I've seen other generations come up, and I think that there's one thing that unites us all, and that is um, this incredible connectedness to social issues, to social justice, to political issues, to cultural issues, to storytelling, and to wanting to make some difference in the world and wanting to make some change and to tell stories to throw light on um, things that people don't know about and to highlight um, the voices to hear from the voices of people who you do often don't hear from in mainstream media and I think that these are the kinds of things that drive that drive many of us so the idea to connect those values with the philanthropic sector, which is driven by the same values, really, which is to, uh, you know, to contribute and to participate and to assist and to help uh, make the world a better place, is just a kind of obvious connect. But the thing is that um, many funders are not in it to fund the documentary sector. I mean, they're not in it to... Um, fill the gap of the diminishing funds from government and broadcasters and, and to say, well, we want to support documentary filmmaking per se. You know, there are many funders, actually, when we started, documentary DAF was launched in 2008, um, around the same time, you know, that uh, BrickDoc started Good Pitch, or that BrickDoc itself was formed, I think it was in 2008, and Good Pitch started around that time, and there was a, a lot of things that sort of lined up at that time in the world. And uh, it took us many years to, to understand the philanthropic sector and to sow the seeds for the time to be right to do Good Pitch, which, um, as Melinda said this morning, the first one was in 2014. So 
Um, before that, philanthropic giving in this country was very private. Um, I could never have imagined in 2008 that you would get philanthropists sitting in public at the Opera House, you know, around a table, pledging publicly, putting their hand up to support a film, you know, well, for $5,000, let alone $20,000 or $50,000. So um, we've seen rapid and massive change in that time. And, um, and I think that it's about actually connecting the issues and connecting um, and understanding and listening to what what drives people, what makes them get up in the morning, what, what makes them do what they do every day um, and what they really care about and uh, bringing to them an understanding that that media and film and storytelling can really amplify and make visible a lot of the things that they that, that they're possibly funding or that they're volunteering in an organisation or that they're supporting a not-for-profit or an NGO that's doing that work on the front line and that a film can help that organisation which they love and have been supporting for many years. So it's, it's a way to sort of amplify and connect the dots and I think that um, for filmmakers to understand that it's not just about funding a film, it's about that much bigger picture is the very first step in understanding how to have successful partnerships in this sector and to be all kind of working towards those same aims. Um, I also think it's really important to just mention something that, that Jennifer mentioned this morning, which is where your film sits within... Um, a broader debate that's already existing, that existed before your film came along and will probably exist long after your film and how your film can contribute to an existing debate and to know, um, to be able to kind of distinguish between what your film has made happen and what um, maybe was building and, and going to happen anyway. It was going... so. And sometimes that can be difficult to do, but I think it's important to do just in terms of authenticity and um, and also to not sort of hype it up too much, but to be part of what what is a collective impact and to to try to kind of um, suss out when the timing is right to release a certain film at a certain time. And I think that the um, example of Gaby Baby is a really good example and I, I think a lot of people here have heard Gaby Baby mentioned a lot at this conference and I think what this example can show us is a couple of things. So one of the things is um, what to be really clear about your aims as a filmmaker and the aim, not, not just your personal aims, you know, I want to change the world or, you know, like I really care about the environment so... You know, I want to make I want to make something happen or raise awareness, which is what most people say. Which, of course, is is one part of it. But you know, how do we go beyond raising awareness? How do we make things happen, big or small? And I think it's really important to um, be very realistic in what those aims are. And I stand here to to really talk to you about. I'm going to show you an example from another film, Kaching. Um, Pokey Nation, which was not a good pitch film, because I think it's important to also speak about, you know, on the DAF site, we have about 300 films, and it's very much part of my job to help, you know, the other 294 films that don't get into good pitch. And so I, you know, there's a lot of resources and a lot of um, 
uh, you know, information out there to to help you, whether you get into good pitch or not. Daf is is doing this work, and and one of the things is to really know what your aims are and what the aims and goals of your particular film is, and then you can measure its success or measure its impact, if you like, against those aims, um, and not necessarily you know boiling the ocean as as um, as Melinda said this morning, but to you know a a small um, impact that is deep and profound and targeted can be extremely powerful and you can sometimes reach many 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 people um and then you know it's it's like a flash in the pan you know it had a big impact that night but everyone's forgotten about it next week so it's not just about the numbers of people that you that you meet and uh, that you reach um it's about what you really want to make happen with the film and um in terms of the gaby baby example i think that uh the aim was to put the children's voices into the into the debate which was brewing to hear from the children and um and also to um provide tools for children and teachers at primary school this is initially the aim when when the girls first came and spoke to me about it years ago which was to provide tools to kids and teachers in primary schools specifically um to be able to to speak about families and it was you know I think it's now also high schools primaries and high schools Charlotte and Maya are you here in the room no okay so um it's knowing those aims and then mapping your strategy against those aims and then being able to measure against those aims and great if you go beyond those aims and you you do something you know that, that far exceeds your own expectations fabulous but it's also significant even if they're small and distinct it might be just you know keeping a program going in a, in a particular school it might be one school so um i think it's okay to be modest is what i'm trying to say so i've i've only got about five minutes left so i'm just going to speak really quickly about that um this came from a very personal place this film um you saw my some some of you may have seen maya's pitch earlier today um she's a gaby uh, she wanted. To, she never saw anything that reflected her family structure or her voice. She wanted to give voice to other people who'd grown up in families like her. And um, when they started, it was quite a long road. One of the first things they did was that they ran a campaign on Possible, and they, um, you know, and it's quite hard running those crowdfunding campaigns. And they raised a hundred thousand dollars, which was sort of was extraordinary, and I think one of the biggest Possible crowdfunding campaigns at the time. But what it did beyond the money was that it showed them that there was this community of interest, there was their audience. You know, I think a lot of this stuff we already know now and then how to kind of mine that audience to build your film over time. Um, Every film is really different. Every impact campaign that you might create is going to be really different according to the film and the partners that you have around those films and the audience that you're speaking to in those films. it grew it and, and timing you know so the debate exploded when they released the film was a very important decision to make um the festival strategy in fact i just want to say that you know in april um we're going to hold an Docs in sydney which will be streamed so people from other states can see it about the relationship between impact producing and traditional distribution dis, distribution um, which which is an important conversation to have I think now and how these two things can dovetail and I think that Anna's example actually spoke very well to how the two things can work together 
So um, that's Gaby, but I don't want to run out of time, so I'm just going to go straight to the next trailer, which is Kaching. And this film was not a good pitch film. It was a film, by way of introduction, it's a film about uh, poker machine addiction. This film was brought to me by uh, a man called Neil Lawrence, who was a political campaigner and an ad man who was passionate about the fact that poker machines... Uh, were designed to addict people. There were three main things that he he brought this to me and I produced it um, for the ABC. So it was made with funding from the ABC, Screen Australia, Screen New South Wales, but also about 100,000 in philanthropic funding. Um, the aim of the film was to, um, to restart a debate that he'd been involved in um, many years ago. He was uh, one of the architects of the Stop the Loss campaign with GetUp which was uh, aimed to bring about uh, reform um, and to get the government to, to regulate the gaming industry, essentially. And they got very close with the Wilkie reforms and then it collapsed. Um, there was some time between that when he came to me and he said, we need to shift the debate and we need to put the machine itself on trial uh, and we need to really raise awareness of the collusion between the gaming industry and the governments and the incredible social cost that's caused by not only how addictive these machines are designed to be, but the fact that there are 10 times more machines in the poorest postcodes. So there's a business model around this uh, really predatory um, business. So unlike, the, I mean, you know, all films have an educational component and it's important, you know, with Gaby Baby, uh, we were aiming very, very specifically, very targeted at schools and to talk about families. With Kaching, we want to bring about political change. We want to bring about a reform for the to the gaming industry, and there's really big business interests, obviously, in in that. It's a it's a really steep hill to climb. Um, there's it's a racket, you know. There there's deep collusion. I mean. You know, the gaming industry is embedded in our governments and um, it's going to be a long and hard-fought campaign. So, you know, campaigns are different. I mean, with this film, we um, was... I think Neil wanted to make the film for the campaign. He was a campaigner. Um, I'm a filmmaker, so I wanted to make a really, really great film, a really powerful film that would... That, that people who are addicted to these machines would understand that it's not their individual weakness. It's that these machines are designed to addict. Like there's something else going on here. It's not just they're just... Because the whole gambling industry um, really... I mean, they have a whole thing about responsible gambling and that the responsibility is placed at the individual level, whereas what we really want to talk about is that there's a responsibility and a duty of care that governments hold. So for me, it was about sort of shifting that debate and telling a story and empowering the individuals in the film to uh, be able to use the film to build empathy and understanding amongst their communities. So there's kind of... So we have a campaign that started at the beginning of the filmmaking. Uh, we were working with a whole alliance um, of organisations that want to see gambling reform. That alliance includes the churches... It includes, um, Tim, Tim Costello is very involved in that campaign. It includes organisations like St Vincent de Paul's and the Salvos and Mission Australia and people who are dealing with the social cost of gambling. 
Uh, it involves all the gambling reform organisations um, and, and people who are involved with prisons and the hypnotherapist associations and all sorts of people have just come out in response to the film and have said we... Because gambling, this pokey addiction affects, you know, one in seven people in this country. It's much broader than I ever realised. And so all sorts of people have come to us and said we want to use the film in our communities. So this campaign is about building grassroots action and awareness at the first stage um, giving them the language and the focus of the campaign to begin with and then moving at stages towards clubs and pubs and hotels and saying you know there, there can be alternative revenue models you can be leaders you can kick out the pokies you can have live bring live music back you know there's lots of other things that you can do um, and then to step up to government. So it's going to be a long-fought campaign. So sometimes, you know, we talk about three years. I mean, I don't know. We might still be going with this in 10 years. Who knows? But um, it's a tool in a broader campaign. It's a tool for other organisations to use. We've all talked about collective impact. We've all talked about the importance of building coalitions of partners, of understanding the motivations of those partners, um, and that's funding partners, community partners, education partners, um, policy partners. You know, so we're all part of a much broader society. Um, we don't work in this kind of tiny little bubble, even though it feels like it sometimes as documentary filmmakers. Um, but we're part of a, a, a much bigger world. And I think there's never been a better time than now to reach out with all our tentacles to that much bigger world and to say, well, you know, a documentary film can be a gift to all of those other organisations to um, to make change happen where they care the most. Am I out of time? Am I out of time? Um, so, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this, but I'm, I'm here and I'm happy to talk to any of you. And if we don't have time in meetings, then you can, you know, I'm very happy to, um, to talk to you about your projects. So... Um, I know I've found this session incredibly interesting and I have a lot of questions. Um, maybe we can just give them all a big round of applause one more time and go and have some lunch. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website. <laughs>